It is uh, December 7th, 2014, at least for some more weeks now. Our message today is called Company Man. And I'm going to warn you that I'm going to use a little bit of creative license with the word company today. Uh, I want to talk to you in the beginning about what that might mean. Think of the different ways in which you use the word company, right? If you have guests over, you might say we're having company for dinner. That's very strange if you are a foreigner to the English language, isn't it? Sounds like you're eating your employer. Uh, company can be companionship, can be fellowship or association. I've always enjoyed Matthew's company, right? Uh, company can be one's usual companions. I don't like the company that that guy keeps. You heard, are you following me so far? Then you're going to have to say something. You say, yeah, oh, okay, okay. Uh, how about a number of persons united or incorporated for a joint action, especially for business? That guy has a publishing company. Another one is our idioms. We say to keep company is to associate with somebody, to be the friend of somebody. How about this? My sister's been keeping company with a young lawyer. You know, that's meant different things at different times. You might even use an idiom that says, we're going to part company. That can have maybe three different meanings. It can be the ceasing of an association or a friendship. You know, we parted company 20 years ago after that argument. Have you all heard that one? It might be that we have different views. Uh, he parted company with his father on politics. Not meaning that he's not his father anymore, but that they do not share the same view. It might mean that you simply separated from someone. We parted company at the airport. Company is one of those words that has a bunch of meanings, and that gives me a chance to use it in some creative ways this morning. Amen? Y'all with me? You, you going to go on a little journey with me? It may be a little tongue-in-cheek, but we're going to do it anyway. Amen? There are 11 companies that I looked into this week. You know, I'm sitting on a pile of cash and I wanted to know where to invest it. (laughs) Anybody in here have an MBA? Oh, very good. Then you can help me with the message. As I looked into the companies this week, I found one that's always doing hostile takeovers. It uses the press to beat out its competition. And as I looked at it, I was envious of their success. I began to consider all that they had. I want to show you about that company. Read with me in Proverbs 24. When you get to Proverbs 24, say, Pastor, I'm there. That girl's fast. Proverbs 24, starting in verse 1. Do not envy wicked men. Do not desire their... Do not desire their... I'm going to talk to you about the wicked company for a minute. For their hearts plot violence, and their lips talk about making trouble. By wisdom a house is built, and a thorough understanding, and through thorough, I'm sorry, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. I want you to understand that the wicked indeed have a company. We can find it everywhere. We see it everywhere. 
And there are times in which you may desire some of the things that you see within the wicked company. But after examining their wages, you may decide that it's better to fill your house with some different things. While the wicked seem to have a good sign-on bonus, in the end, their retirement plan is lacking. When we see wicked companies prosper, you need to understand that it is temporary. You need to remind yourself that it's temporary. There was once a Hebrew song that was written and said, My foot had almost slipped until I entered the house of my God. And I considered the outcome of the wicked. They will be mowed down like grass. As I began to think about filling my house with treasure, I decided the wicked company was not the place to do it. So when I left that place, I heard laughter. I heard noise in the streets. I briefly considered a partnership with this company and I grew hungry while I was there. Turn with me to Jeremiah 15. When you get to Jeremiah 15, say, I'm there, pastor. Deciding not to invest in the wicked company, distracted by noise that I heard in the street, I wanted to invest in this particular company, and it was at mealtime that I changed my mind. In the 16th verse, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand on me, your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. When I heard the revelry company, I was attracted to it. A reveler is somebody who is full of laughter, full of noise, but they're usually up to no good. It looks good, kind of like a firecracker, but there's no consistent character there that will sustain it. And if you join the company of revelers, you'll have no place with God's Word because what God's Word does for you after separating you from the company of the wicked is it shows you that the revelry company, it should actually make you indignant. Let me ask you, why would you invest in something? Is it not because you want to return? Is it not because you want your life to have some sense of purpose? You want your life to have some significance? There are many that are floating through life working for the revelry company, and they don't do anything other than what makes them happy that moment. Never mind the wreckage that it leaves behind them. Never mind the way in which it destroys lives and what makes you happy when you're 20 might make you sick when you are 40. The revelry company has no future prospects. The Word of God, while I was eating my lunch that day, turned me from the company of the revelry. Now, what I was once interested in, I had become disgusted in. So after lunch, I decided to go home, but I got lost along the way. Anybody's GPS led them wrong? Sent me through a residential neighborhood on my way to a metropolitan city. Thank God for Proverbs 21. Turn there. In Proverbs 21, say there when you were there. While straying from my path home, I remembered this scripture. 
A man who strays from the path of understanding comes to rest in the comes to rest in the company of the dead. Proverbs 21:16 teaches us that when you lose your way, you end up in the company of the dead. Now, if I ask you what you do for a living, is there anybody here that's dying for a living? <laughs> and yet all of you are dying. See, a, a, a man can be defined by what he does, but you usually choose to be defined by an occupation that you think has some merit. So a man who delivers uh, garbage for a living might choose to describe himself as a sanitation engineer, right? Uh, somebody who is um, involved in hate speech might call themselves a hate stylist. You know, we find ways to dress it up, but the truth is the world can be defined by those who have lost their way and their occupation is now they're a part of the company of the dead or those who have found their way and refuse to work for that company. Your life will be defined by your occupation in many cases. How about this? I found my way again, and it reminded me so much, having been in the company of the dead, of my old life that I ran from that place. I felt guilty. Anybody ever feel guilty in here? All right, keep your hands up. <laughs> what did you feel guilty for, Abby? <laughs> I'm teasing I'm teasing. I told you I would not hammer on y'all today. I felt guilty. So while, while I'm running from the company of the dead, looking for a way to assuage my guilt, I thought, I know, I will take my massive investments to the nonprofit fire company. Because at the nonprofit fire company, I may find some good work that will, that will make my soul feel better, and then I won't have to think about my true condition. Turn with me to 2 Kings. Let's go to the nonprofit fire company. When you're in 2 Kings to the first chapter, say, Pastor, I'm there. In 2 Kings, the first chapter, which I hope to eventually find, we find a king. And that king's name is Ahaziah. Ahaziah had a terrible condition. He was dying. And he sought help from prophets. But he didn't seek help from the prophets of God. In that sense, he ran a non-profit kingdom. And what he didn't understand about his non-profit kingdom is there are consequences to that. Most people that are in business are in business for a profit. Something needs to direct them. Something needs to guide their way of life. Pick up with me in the verse 7 and we'll see what we learned at the non-profit fire company. The king asked, what kind of man was it that came to meet you and told you this? They replied, he was a man with a garment of hair and with a leather belt around his waist. The king said that was Elijah the Tishbite. Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. That captain went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill and said to him, man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, who of course is standing there with his company. If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire from heaven, fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain with his 50 men. At this, the king sent to Elijah another captain. And of course, he's got another company of 50 men. 
The captain said to him, man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. Did you notice the little uh, addition there? Not just come down, but come down now. More authority. The world is always pushing on people. If I'm a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him with his 50 men. Feelings of guilt had sent me to the nonprofit fire company. I wanted to avoid my true condition. I wanted to not think about where I had just been and what I had just done. And while at the nonprofit fire company, I found out that the man who was managing that business was in the same condition that I was. He seemed to have everything, seemed to have a lot to invest. But the truth is he had never recovered from his illness because he was running a nonprofit company and he could not hear the words of God. I want you to understand something. The state that you're in now can be changed, but it can only be changed by heeding the words of the prophet. If we decide that they're optional, if we decide that they're not real, nothing awaits us except a fiery judgment from heaven. This is a reality that the whole world is seeking to run from. Some do it in humanitarian efforts. Some do it in their reverie companies. Some do it just by hanging out with the company of the dead so that they don't have to think about it. People do it in various ways. But I thought, you know, I think I ought to reflect on the wicked company, the company of revelers, the company of the dead, and the nonprofit fire company. Something's wrong with my investment scheme. None of these look like something that I want to be invested in in long term. And with the wicked company, I realized, you know, I can't envy what those people have. With the company of revelers, I realized that their party was temporary and it began to disgust me. With the company of the dead, Seemed fine for a while, but I found out that they take advantage of everybody who loses their way and they all end up dead. With the nonprofit fire company, I, I began to wonder what good would it be to have a whole kingdom if in the end it was just destined to burn. I decided to look somewhere else for my investments. And as I did that, I stumbled into a company called the Publishing Company. Turn with me to Psalm 68. Say there when you were there, it would be 6811. In Psalm 68, 11, it says, The Lord announced the word, and, that, and great was the... The Lord announced the word, and great was the... Of those who proclaimed it. Kings and armies flee in haste. In the camps, men divide their plunder. Even while you sleep among the campfires, the wings of my dove are sheathed with silver, and its feathers with shining gold. You know, while I was in the publishing company, I loved the word that was proclaimed. I liked to read their books. I liked to read the literature. But what interested me most were the silvery redemptive wings of the dove that I saw there. And when I looked closely at it and saw that it was shining like gold, I realized that there was something divine about the publishing company. And I wanted to invest. How many of you think that a company owner would want you to invest in their company? You have an MBA, Steve. If you own a company and somebody wants to invest money, would you let them invest money in your company? 
What an interesting thing. Most people would just take the money. Some want to count the cost. The owner of the publishing company refused my investment, and he refused my employ. He said before he could receive my investment and before he could employ me, he needed me to go see some of the other company owners he was associated with. As I did that, the first one that I came to was the company of the righteous. Our conversation was recorded in Psalm 14. In Psalm 14, before we read that, you can't work for the king's publishing company when you don't have the same DNA as the king. You can't carry a message that is not found in your own life. Have you noticed how many brand new Christians, how many people early in their marriages, early in their Christian walks, want to go out and save the world and they don't yet know how to save their own marriages, their own lives, their own jobs? Have you noticed how many people want to go work for a publishing company before they've understood, say, the righteous company? Or any of the other things. We run with a message that we've barely had time to digest ourselves. Get them saved. Put a track in their hand and put them on a street corner. Have you heard that message before? Of course, when you go back with no discipleship, with no accountability, with no long-term goals, they simply become trampled underfoot by the wicked company. In Psalm 14, starting in verse 4, was my conversation at the righteous company. Will evildoers never learn? Those who devour my people as men eat bread and who do not call on the Lord, they there they are overwhelmed with dread. For God is present in the company of the righteous. Oh, this was a troubling conversation indeed. Because although that I had wanted to join the employee of the publishing company, Although I at least wanted to invest in the publishing company, the owner of that company said I had to go see the company of the righteous. And when I did, he wanted to know why I had been hanging out in the company of the wicked. He wanted to know why I had considered investing among the company of the revelers. He had even seen me leaving the company of the dead and heard that I had visited the nonprofit fire company. I felt quite uncomfortable at the company of the righteous. It made me consider my ways and whether or not I really wanted to work for the publishing company. It was a chance to evaluate my investment portfolio, to examine the returns, to examine the risk, quite literally to count the cost. After all, which among you, if he were going to go to war, would not first count the soldiers that he had with him? Or if you were going to build a tower, would not see if you had the money to complete it? How could you invest in a company or allow someone to if you didn't know if they were fully committed. When I left the company of the righteous, I didn't know where to go, so I asked for help. You can see, sir, that I've kept the wrong company. Where should I go? He said, well, I know that you went to the non-profit fire company. Why don't I send you to the for-profit company? Their intentions are honest. Their business model is pure and straightforward. You can find them in Second Kings, the second chapter. They are good company to keep. When you're in Second Kings 2, pick up with me in the first verse.
When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets, the four prophet company at Bethel came out to Elijah and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elijah replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The four prophet company at Jericho came up to meet Elijah and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. I want you to know that during my time at the for-profit company, I learned what the publishing company was interested in. Was my commitment long-term? Could I learn the ways of the company of the righteous? Would I do what it took to be discipled? In the for-profit company, I learned that you can never leave your master once joining him. A worse fate rests at the end of the path of the man that knew the way of the company of the righteous and walked away than a man who never knew it. This caused a great deal of pressure to be upon my investment. It's not something that I could do lightly. It's not something that I could do easily. As I began to think about the for-profit lesson that I had learned there, I asked, where should I go next? Would I be allowed to invest yet? They said, no, you need to go see the land company. I said, you're kidding I have to go to another. He said, how many businesses did you visit when considering a wicked investment? He said, yes, sir, I will go. And I was sent from there to the land company. In Genesis 13, I learned what was needed at the land company. My conversation with the owner was a great one, full of great promises. I could see that the land company was eventually going to get the whole world, starting with one tract of land between the Tigris, the Euphrates, and the country of Israel. And as we began to discuss, he reminded me of how their company began. And in the eighth verse of chapter 13 in Genesis, that is recorded. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zor. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. As I began to listen to this conversation, not yet fully grasping what was at stake, I realized that the land company was the product of a partnership that had split. Sometimes you have to part company if you're going to join the company of the righteous. In fact, it's almost always necessary for you to part company. If you have partners that are willing to settle in a land that God is going to destroy, then they have missed the lesson. If you have partners that care more about what their investment yields than what your investment yields, you have the wrong partners. At the land company, I learned what it means to keep good company. 
So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived in the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him. I bet Abraham regretted the day he threw in his lot. Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north, south, east, and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. I learned that partnerships between those who wanted what they could inherit this week and those who wanted to inherit something that might take thousands of years but was worth it will never last. The most essential lesson that I learned at the land company is sometimes while we're standing on the same piece of ground, we're inheriting different lands and you must part company with those kind of people. Why could Abraham part company with Lot? Why could Abraham say, pick any direction that you would like to go? Abraham had a promise. He had a promise. He didn't need to be worried about being beaten in a business deal. He didn't need to be worried about someone else's selfish intentions. He had a promise that all of the land would belong to him and that allowed him to be generous and kind and not to have to keep a record of wrongs, but also not to keep company with the wicked. When I learned that when you receive a promise from the righteous company, you have it, but you'll have to split partners. The promise covers more than all of your losses. The P&L statement of the land company quite simply says, I can lose every year until the year that I gain enough to make up for them all. That's a strange way to run a company, isn't it? The landowner is different than the land company. The land company is managed by a peculiar tribe, an unordinary people. They consider themselves a kingdom of priests. And I talked to the landowner, and he said, there's one more place that you'll have to visit. It's also owned by that peculiar tribe. You need to go to the resurrection company before we can do business together. Turn with me to Genesis 50. In Genesis 50, pick up with me in verse 6. Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he has made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt, besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. Only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large... It was a very large... When they reached the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly. And there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. Look with me at verse 13. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abraham had bought 
as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite along with the field. As I sat and talked with those at the resurrection company, I found out their family had the most peculiar practice. It seems that it all started with a man named Abraham. And because he was a friend of the owner of the righteous company, he received a land grant. And Abraham started both the land company and the resurrection company. A man that owns a land company ought to own a lot of land, wouldn't you think? The only thing he bought in his entire lifetime is recorded in Genesis 23. It's a cave at Machpelah. The only thing he bought in his entire life was a place to bury his wife. And not only was his wife buried there, but in Genesis 25, Isaac and Rebekah were buried there. In Genesis 49, Jacob buries Leah there. And in Genesis 50, Jacob was buried there. We have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all buried in one place at the resurrection company. And it was at the resurrection company that I learned that if you're going to be a part of the company of the righteous, maybe none of your hopes are fulfilled in this lifetime. All of the investment that you make now, all of the hard work that you do now, all of the toil that you do now is for a gain at a later date. In fact, I learned that these men that ran these thriving large companies never inherited in their lifetime the benefits of the businesses that they ran. Is that worth knowing before you invest in the righteous company? Today we live in a time, friends, when what is being sold is your best life now. That is not the company of the righteous It has never been the company of the righteous. This is simply a very good sales pitch. It's something akin to the message that Ahaz was hoping to hear. I'm not Ahaz, Ahaziah. He was laying sick on his bed and what he wanted to hear was everything will be all right. He didn't want a profit company, so he ended up in the fire company. All he wanted to hear was, you're fine. In fact, I bet he would have loved the message, you're a champion. Instead, the message that he got from Elijah was your life will be burned because your investment has been in here and now. As I began to contemplate such a serious message, I wondered, you know, I visited so far nine companies. Are there parent companies that own these companies? And then I stumbled upon a company called the Soldier Company. Turn with me to Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, I began to learn about an owner's son. And as I read about the owner's son, I was very surprised that there were two companies that had been battling for the same things for a very long time. In the Gospel of Mark, starting in the 16th verse, chapter 15 and verse 16. Say there when you're there. The soldiers led Jesus away into the place, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole, the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him, falling on their knees. They paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his clothes on him. 
Then they led him out to crucify him. You can be, you can imagine my surprise at the company of the soldiers to find out that the man being crucified was actually the son of the owner of the company of the righteous and that they were involved in an ancient struggle. I never could find out who the owner of the soldier company was, but I saw peculiarities in the soldier company that reminded me of the wicked company, reminded me of the company of revelers, reminded me of the company of the dead and the nonprofit fire company, and I began to see a relationship. In fact, while you might not be able to draw it on a corporate chart, they all have the exact same thing in common. They hate the company of the righteous. They may talk like they're okay and they'll be fine to be neighbors with each other, but in the end, the spirit that runs them hates the spirit that runs the company of the righteous. It's not possible to keep company with both. You're going to have to love one and hate the other. No man can serve two masters. But then I began to wonder, is there a parent company for the resurrection company, the land company, for the profit company, for the company of the righteous, for the publishing company? And who on earth did that owner's son work for? I found my answer in Luke, the second chapter. Turn with me to Luke 2. Slide your finger down to the 13th verse. Say there when you're there. Suddenly a great, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom God's favor rests. As I began to think about the parenting company, I realized that God's favor does not rest on all men. If you work for a company that is involved in trying to destroy the heavenly host, God's favor cannot rest on you. I remember the lessons that I learned at the land company and said, you will have to part ways with people like that. I went back to my master's publishing company and said, now having learned this lesson, can I work for you? The thing that had attracted me to the publishing company was a dove, a dove with silver wings and a gold sheath. The thing that I loved about the publishing company is although the wages were pretty poor, the retirement plan was amazing and the owner put that dove inside of me. You need to know something, church. What's masked in a children's tale are the deepest truths in mankind. You cannot serve two masters. The sixth chapter of the book of Matthew clearly says it in this way. Six, Matthew 6. Six twenty-four. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now I want to ask you, particularly you adults in the room, is it possible to preach a gospel that teaches the accumulation of money and serve God? Is it possible to teach a gospel 
that appeals to greed and serve God? Is it possible to mix your company with the wicked, with those who are revelers? Is it possible to mix your company with theirs and serve God? The king that we serve does not just want anyone who walks through the door. He only wants the one that devotes their whole life, all life long. Their commitment is so sincere that if they never receive a wage in this lifetime, that's just fine. They're happy to join the retirement program. 1 John 3.8 says this. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. It is not possible to work for both the Son of God and the world. You will have to love one and you will have to hate the other. Mixing of the two will not work. When I was 18, I went to work for a chemical plant called Copolymer. And they were unionized. Are there any union folks in the room today? That's interesting. At the third week of my job that I desperately needed to feed my family, I was referred to as a scab and a company man. I had no idea what it meant. So at 18 years old, I didn't have Google. I had to go ask people who knew what a company man was. Here's what I found. A company man is someone whose allegiances are to the company over and above, even beyond their peers, friends, and family. They care more about the company's welfare than they care about their friends' opinions, than they care about what they can get through collective bargaining. They care more about the company and what it produces than they care about their friends and family. What does it mean to be a company man? It means that you have deemed the publishing company and the righteous company, the resurrection company, the land company, the for-profit company worth it because you like the way the owner's son is running it. And no matter what your friends think, no matter what people do, as they unionize to try to change the terms of their employ, you are a company man. A company man cares more about the kingdom of God than he cares about what he can get from the kingdom of God. There are all kinds of ways to run a company. You could have high wages and poor products. Our company's got amazing products and terrible wages for a short period of time. But I am a company man. I want to ask you today, we're all company men in the end. question is not, are you a company man? When I was at the company of the dead, I realized nobody here cares more about their brothers than themselves. They care about this company. They're involved in death and they're producing death. When I was at the company of the revelers, I watched their parties and I realized these people don't genuinely care for each other. It's all about the party. In fact, in every company run by that mystery owner, I figured out that they cared more about what they were producing than each other's lives. 
So we're all company, man. The question is, which company are you serving? The question is, what are you pouring your life out and what is it producing? So when we sit and we think of these things, you could easily say, oh, no, no, I visited the publishing company and I liked it. I think the, I think the company of the righteous is the way to go. That's not what we're asking. I thought that and wasn't allowed to join because I'd never counted the cost and certainly would not pay the cost. Have you been standing on the outside in the parking lot admiring the products but never participated in producing them? Would you be accepted with the king's son who died to produce the product? See, at the end of the day, you can't call yourself a company man if you're not willing to die for the company. A company man cares more about what that company produces than even his own life. You can go join any company. How close do the non-profit fire company and the for-profit company sound? They might even have the same steeple. They might even have the same stained glass and the same pews. But you will know when you meet their company men. Do they care more about the company that is the kingdom of God? Is that the company they keep? Is that the fellowship that they enjoy? Is that what they've joined together to produce? Or do they have an ulterior motive with secondary gain? Yeah? Why do people invest? They usually invest because they want something in return. If you're going to invest in this company, it's going to have to be because you've learned that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Could you all stand to your feet?